you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome to episode three of the Huddle and Flow podcast. I am Steve White here with my guy, Jim Trotter, as we are coming to you after a very interesting week two. We've got a lot of injuries. We have some of the best matchups of black quarterbacks that we have seen face off one another in years. We're going to talk about it, but Jim, we're really not even talking about it. And, and when you see some of the other things that are going on in the NFL, we've got coaches on the hot seat after week two, Jim. And yes, they deserve to be there. And a little bit later on in the show, too, Jim, we're going to have a special guest who's going to be talking about Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, taking the head coaching job at Jackson State University. But, Jim, I mean, first off, again, we just we just wrapped up week two. We're here in Southern California. The heat has subsided. We're a little bit back to normal now. Um, just your thoughts as we get ready to enter week three and as these teams seem to be gaining their identities. Well, Steve, I mean, what stands out to me so far, number one, is the play of the quarterbacks, obviously. You mentioned uh, particularly the black quarterbacks, which I think is so fascinating from this standpoint that it really wasn't that long ago that we were still talking about the lack of um, black quarterbacks in the NFL or guys being given opportunities to really be the face of the franchise. And now it's almost like the change was incremental and now it's sudden when you think about the guys who are who are the face of this league. When you start talking about Patrick Mahomes, you start talking about Lamar Jackson, and now I think we can put Kyler Murray in the mix as possibly oh, yeah. an MVP candidate this year. So um, obviously a name I didn't mention there who should be in that conversation, should have been in the conversation even before this, is Russell Wilson. So thank you. The state of quarterback play right now to me is just tremendous in terms of what I'm seeing. And the other storyline, as you say, that really stands out so far this year are the significant injuries to key players. Jim, let's let's start there. We'll we'll re, we'll we'll get to the Monday night game, but I mean I don't think I don't think anything usurps this. Nick Bosa, mm. Saquon Barkley, Cortland Sutton, Bruce Irvin, Solomon Thomas, all ACLs. 
Okay, now we've got Christian McCaffrey and Jimmy G, high ankle sprains. They're not going to be out for the entire season like the other players. Anthony Barr, a Vikings linebacker, torn peck. He's not right. Michael Thomas is already out with a high ankle, as is Richard Sherman. Mm -hmm. And so, but to see these catastrophic knee injuries. Now, you know, we saw, I know the big concern coming into this off, you know, this training camp with no real offseason. Everybody took, went back to 2011, the lockout year, when you had a bunch of Achilles and calf type of injuries. Now we're seeing all of these injuries. Nobody's really relating them necessarily to not having an offseason. But something is there, Jim. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. It, it's fluke. Maybe it's just the star, the star power of these injuries. But something is there. Steve, I think it's what you said. I think star power. I think every year we become prisoners of the moment. And we hear this early in the year, we hear it in training camp. I can't believe there are so many injuries. And then you go back and you study the data and the data shows that injuries aren't up as much as they were the year before, the year before that. I think what's striking this year is the star power that's out that we're talking about here. Um, These are, I mean, Nick Bosa was a guy that I, I was predicting would be defensive player of the year, you know, so to see him out, um, at this point, as devastating, you know, for the for the 49ers who are hoping to make that run back to the Super Bowl. And then it's not just the star players we're losing, but it's the number of players on some teams. You know, when you talk about the Broncos, as you mentioned, Von Miller out for the year, Cortland Sutton out for the year, arguably their best offensive and defensive player. Their quarterback is now out for a while. Philip Lindsay has been out. You know, you keep going down that list with them. The 49ers, Nick Bosa, D. Ford's been out. Sherman's been out, as you said. Um, Debo has been out. Kittle has been out. So it, it's the number of injuries to prominent players on some of these teams that has been most striking to me. Yeah, and let's not forget about the Philadelphia Eagles. It seems like they're half their team already is an IR, on IR, and their uh, their quarterback is not playing that will either Jim another another injury if you want to call it that game we were at Chiefs Chargers Ty Taylor starting quarterback for the Chargers right before the game has to go to the hospital we're told at the beginning of the game it's a chest injury so we don't know what that is come to find out after the game chest pains which is a whole different ball game then come to find out that it was a situation where he took a shot to curb some rib pain that he sustained last week against the Bengals and something went awry there as to where he had some issues, went to the hospital, he's been released. Really odd situation. You don't know what happened there. But now this opens up this Pandora's box. We're talking about black quarterbacks. Justin Herbert came in there on short notice and, and just was was played really well. I mean, we were there. We, we were you know just remarking at how well he played, um, which goes to say a lot about how well he was prepared. But this, this whole circumstance, let, let's kind of get in here because Anthony Lynn loves Ty. He says if Ty's 100%, he's going to be his guy. But this is what we call a conundrum, Jim. Really, Steve, it's not um, from my vantage point. As I wrote, look, Anthony Lynn um, gets a lot of character points for being so loyal to Tyrod. But as we know, the NFL is a cruel business. And Coach Lynn knows that. Tyrod knows that. He's been through this before, back with Cleveland, basically was brought in to start for a year, ends up getting hurt early in the year. Baker Mayfield comes in, Tyrod never sees the field again. Um, That's the nature of the NFL when you have a young quarterback who is drafted high in the first round, um, who is considered to be 
the future of the franchise. And the thing about Herbert that was so, um, that, that captured my attention, yes, or that captured my attention on Sunday was that you could see the stage wasn't too big for him. And even at one point he came over to the sideline, he smiled at one of the coaches and he said, man, this is cool. You know, he was just out there having fun. And when you look at, to find out as a young guy, and literally I was told by one coach, 30 seconds before the kickoff, he was told he was starting. After having no first team reps during the week, facing the defending Super Bowl champions in a critical division game, and you trot out on the field and you march that offense down the field on the very first possession for a touchdown, you get pop going into the end zone, you pop up like it's nothing, and then you continue to play that game as if, in many ways, you're a seasoned vet. Now, we know he's not because he made a couple of rookie mistakes, one of which was critical in terms of throwing back against his body when the Chargers had a chance to go up by two scores. But man, Anthony Lynn can say Tyrod is his guy if Tyrod is 100% healthy and ready to go. But the reality is, as I wrote, owners can be fickle when it comes to the whims of their fans and the desires of the owner. And right now, people are talking about Justin Herbert. I expect that he will be starting. Yeah, as they should. And look, one thing about Herbert, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, he was so well prepared by the quarterback's coach, Pep Hamilton, and O.C. Shane Steichen. We can say what we want about him finding out 30 seconds before kickoff, Jim. He was running tempo. They were going no huddle. Mm -hmm. They mixed it up like this was all part of the game plan. Like he was on that 15-play script, and he knew it like whatever. So major props to them for having him ready. Let's kind of get back to the quasi-injury stuff a little bit, Jim. The NFL announced Monday night it is fining three teams, $250,000 each, and those teams had coaches, Vic Fangio, Kyle Shanahan, and Pete Carroll, $100,000 each for not properly wearing their mask on the sidelines. And maybe after Monday night, we're going to add John Gruden and Sean Payton to that because every time the camera was on them, they were breathing freely, so to speak. Um, just your thoughts on the highlights NFL of a flexing. Few I saw highlights of a few other games, Steve, where it seemed like coaches didn't have those masks on either. So it's interesting. How did they choose those three? I think that's going to be the question as we go forward here. Because, um, again, yeah, you can go offenders back. Or what? <laughs> you can go back and watch it. And there were more than a few coaches who did not have those on. The thing that's also curious to me, though, is this, Steve. And I understand the need for safety. Uh, health and safety and whatnot. But these players and coaches and members of the organization who are on that field, officials, everything else, are being tested every day. Every day. So if they are all negative each day, I'm trying to understand the need for the mask during the game, particularly when we see the players not wearing masks and right up on each other. And I'm not in any way saying players should be wearing masks during the game. But I'm saying they're right there next to each other, physical contact, everything else. But a coach trying to speak into a headset without a mask um, is worthy of a fine. It's just kind of curious to me. It makes you wonder, is it about optics? Is there something in, 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 in the medical information that maybe I'm not aware of that there's a need for that? All I know is that, that that's a pretty hefty fine. That's not a slap on the wrist when you start talking about $250,000 for a team and $100,000 for a coach. 
Yeah, and for all these guys that are play callers, I would think wearing a mask would help them because then they don't have to hold a card in front of their mouth <laughs> and they can cuss out a referee without. Yeah, but well, oh, wait, hold on. Lips. <laughs> yeah, but hold on, Steve. And I, I can only speak for myself on this. It is awkward talking through a mask. It oh, really yeah. is. So, so in some ways, I feel for these coaches because it, it's if it's not something that you're accustomed to. And you're in one of those situations that you've been in your entire life in terms of calling plays on a field with no mask on. It, it, it has to be awkward and weird. And so maybe rope memory takes over and you do what you've always done, you know, during your adult life and, and coaching. So um, I feel for him. I really do. And and. I just keep going back. That's a serious. That's a hefty. Pile, I, that is man. that is not chump change. All right, Jim, let's change gears a little bit. This weekend, Washington and Arizona, Dwayne Haskins against Kyler Murray. Kansas City against the Chargers, Pat Mahomes was supposed to be Ty Taylor, as we were just talking about. It was Justin Herbert. Baltimore and Houston, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and then the Sunday night dandy, Cam Newton and Russell Wilson. These are all games with quality matchups of quality black quarterbacks involved. And I I didn't think about it. I didn't hear it mentioned about, hey, these are matchups with black quarterbacks. Are we to the point now where the whole black quarterback discussion is kind of like, hey, there's just so many black quarterbacks. Why are we even really talking about it? Are we there? I, I think to some degree we are based on the fact that, again, it was not sto- a storyline going into the week and whatnot. But we are not past that point when we think back that it was only two years ago when Bill Polian said that Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver coming out of college despite all his success at the collegiate level. I think what we're seeing also is that as older personnel people sort of depart the game, the younger ones are more accustomed to seeing these dual threat quarterbacks at the collegiate level and whatnot. And that's where the game is at that level. You're not going to, I'm not going to say you're not going to find, but it is not as prevalent now to see the quote-unquote traditional pocket passer at the collegiate level. The game is different. And so the beauty to me is, one, we, we don't have to talk about it you know, anymore. And, and I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm sure you remember as well. It wasn't that long ago where we were all talking about why aren't blacks being allowed to play quarterback in the NFL? Right. You know, And now it's as if the change was gradual and then sudden to where you look around the league now and the face of the league are Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson. It was Cam Newton one year as an MVP. Kyler Murray this year, I believe, is going to be in the discussion for MVP when you look at how he has played thus far. Deshaun Watson, we know what he's about. You just keep going down the list and you just think, wow, the league's in a pretty good place with these guys running their teams. And what's interesting, Jim, is the coaching clearly has evolved to not just fit the skill set, but just to kind of fit the modern type of football game where you've got RPOs, where you've got guys, you know, who can who can run the ball. The funny thing about the coaching evolution is these supposed play scheming, play calling whiz kids, most of them have the traditional style quarterbacks. You're talking about Sean McVay, Jared Goff's a drop back passer, Kyle Shanahan. He's got Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and, and so I'm just kind of like, man, can you imagine if Sean McVay had somebody like Kyler Murray? I mean, as deep as Sean McVay can go into his bag, if he had that dual type of threat quarterback? 
Absolutely. I think you look at the, the, the closest guy that I can think of in terms of having to deal with both. I'll go to Josh McDaniels. You have traditional quarterback and Tom Brady for all those years. And we tend to forget when he was at Denver as the head coach, they drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. And they turned to Tebow, I forgot how many games, was it six games into that season, whatever right. it was. And they had to revamp their entire offense to fit his skill set for that season. And so Josh McDaniels had some experience with that. Mike McCoy was the, the OC at that time. And and but Josh had some Adam, experience. Adam, with, Adam Gase wrote the Adam Gase he, wrote those coattails for quite a while. He, he did. <laughs> he was a quarterback's coach, absolutely. And and you look at how they adjusted. And now that's why it was so interesting to me when the Patriots signed Cam Newton and everyone was wondering how it was going to work. And I'm sitting here kind of laughing going, Josh has kind of been through this before. This is not anything new to him. So I felt it would be okay. Look, today, Steve, you know this, you have got to have some flexibility and the really good coaches, successful coaches will adapt their schemes and their systems to their player's strength. And if you're not going to do that, you're not going to be successful in this league for very long. Well, Jim, last week on the podcast, we had Jerry Rice on, and he talked about how some of the schemes he ran at Mississippi Valley State, mm-hmm. he saw Cliff Kingsbury applying in week one against the 49ers, which leads us to our next segment. Early this week on Monday, Dion. Primetime Sanders, he of no head coaching experience yet high profile, gets the head coaching job at Jackson State University. Its most famous alumni football player, of course, is Walter Payton. Before Pro Football Hall of Famers went to Jackson State, as did several black college football Hall of Famers. Jim, prime prime going to an HBCU down in Jackson, Mississippi? We're HBCU products. Is this... This, to me, I'm excited about this, man. Uh, I definitely am, Steve. And, and the thing is, what the thing that's so encouraging to me, so important, is just how now people are talking about it. And that spotlight is being cast on HBCUs. And I know we've got a special guest who can speak about this better than we can. Bring him in. Bring him in, Jim. Bring him in. Well, it's the legend is Doug Williams, who went through this prior to Dion going through this. You know, you have a Super Bowl MVP quarterback who went out and returned to the HBCU ranks, a Grambling alum, returned to the HBCU ranks, was coaching at Morehouse. And so he has a unique perspective on what Dion is about to go through in terms of taking over the Jackson State program. So let's hear from Doug. All right, Jim, you know, every week we have to hit on HBCU athletics, and and this is a big week for HBCU football. Um, As we know, Deion Sanders, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, who went to Florida State, was named the head football coach at Jackson State, which has produced so many great players, including Walter Payton, Lem Barney, and others. And Jim, here to talk with us about that is uh, Washington, Senior VP of Player Development, co-founder of the Black College Football Hall of Fame and a lot of other accolades, Doug Williams. Doug, we appreciate you joining the Huddle and Flow podcast. 
Well, anytime Jim and Steve is on, I don't mind being on, man. That's a great thing to be involved with you all. I'm telling you. Well, we appreciate you being here, Doug. My pleasure. Hey, so so Doug, this, this you know Dion, household name, going to Jackson State. How how big of a deal is this? Well, well, first of all, let me say this. I envied Dion because I didn't have an interest like that to ground the man. <laughs> they, they didn't do me like that. You know, police, siren, get out of Escalade, and man, that was off the chart. <laughs> but wait, Doug, wait, wait, Doug. But would you have even accepted something like that? No, nah, right? No, nah, nah, I, 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 I did it the only way I would have done it. Just drive up and walk in and let's, let's get it on, man. But 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 let me say this: that is a big deal for HBCU. You know, I, I know for Dion, he feels good about it, and, and that's something that he wants to do. But I, but I think from a from a media standpoint, from a publicity standpoint, but also for a guy like Dion who did not have to go to HBCU to do what he's doing, he could have kept on working uh, with the telecast and doing other things. But for him to say, "Hey, I'm going to Jackson State and feeling good about it," that's the most important thing. He realized that he can do some good things at Jackson State. And I think what we got to do at the HBCU, HBCU is wrap our arm around a, a guy like Deion Sanders because what he can do for us uh, is bring some of these guys back home that, that maybe might not want to go places or what have you, but they can look at Deion and say, you know what, he's a Hall of Famer. I know if I was a defensive back today coming out, man, I'm going to Jackson State because you know why? I want to be like Prime. Doug, you know, what's interesting is that I reached out to a couple of HBCU head coaches and asked them, I said, number one, compare Dion's arrival to when you went to Morehouse. And they say this is different from the standpoint that he's going D1 as opposed to D2. And so that visibility is going to be that much greater that you talked about. But they said also what they think it does to the larger population that does not follow HBCU football, that it gives it credibility when you have a name like that come in. Your thoughts on that? Well, no doubt about it. Uh, Deion Sanders, prime time, all the way when he was a rookie, when he used to say Drew Ray, you know, is that Jackson, <laughs> <laughs> is that Jackson State University, man, or uh, HBCU? Uh, the swag credibility just went up. You, you're talking about the possibility of having TV contracts, shoe contracts, and, and a lot more visibility to the whole league. Dion has done a big job today by accepting the job at, at Jackson State University, man. And I'm, I'm proud of him. I, I talked Actually, I talked to him um, early September. We talked about it because he wanted to know what it was like. And I kind of gave him the, the law to lay the land and told him he was in a – he was in he was a catbird seat in Jackson, Mississippi, where Dion is from a recruiting standpoint – you know, he can get on I-55 and go to Memphis. He can go to New Orleans in a short period of time either way. He can get on I-20 and be in Louisiana or in, in Alabama. And if he put a circle around those two interstates, I mean, he can have Mississippi. And he got all the junior colleges in there. So for prime time to be where he is, and he told us to call him Coach Prime, so that's who he is. Uh, oh, Coach, 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 <laughs> Coach Prime is in a prime position. I'm hoping that his staff and the university – do what they have to do to give him what he needs to bring Jackson State back to what it used to be. Real quick, how, how much of a target is on his back? Because coaches I talked to said that that team is going to be there, if we can use the NFL vernacular, their Super Bowl. Every team he plays, just like the Chiefs this year being defending Super Bowl champs, 
everyone is going to give them their best shot. You've been through it, a legend in your own right. When you took over, what was that like in terms of how opponents got up to play you all every week and what can he expect? I told him when we talked, but I did tell him that he was going to be bulletin board material every week because the way the coaches gonna gonna get their players up is gonna be to play Deion Sanders. I, I I dealt with it. They they was playing, they thought they was playing Doug Williams. But I put the reverse, I put reverse psychology on my guys. And what I do pep talk with those guys, I told myself, hey guys, let me tell you something. They're gonna be playing y'all today. They think they're kicking my ass. I'm on the sideline. They're gonna be kicking <laughs> your ass. So, so, so you 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 got to get them prepared to go out and play these guys. You know, but but Dion is no doubt about it. He's gonna fire the kids up. I mean, from the other teams I'm talking about, that we beat Deion Sanders. They ain't gonna ever say they beat Jackson State. <laughs> we 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 beat Deion Sanders. But you know, you're talking about a guy who don't care. You know, Coach Primetime has been in so so many high pressure situations. You come over there talking about you playing Coach Prime, it don't matter because Coach Prime gonna get his players ready. And you know what? He gonna tell them you playing for Coach Prime. So let's go get it done. All right, Doug, we know dealing with HBCUs is a little difficult than dealing with these power, these PWIs, these power institutions. What what are some of the things that Dion can expect? Well, number one, homecoming always gonna be great. Everybody gonna come back and he's gonna wanna shake his hand. That's that's a great thing. He's gonna enjoy that part. <laughs> but 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 the part that he's not gonna enjoy is the fact that you're gonna have some boosters who think they have a little power right now who gonna want control of him. They're gonna call him every little fundraiser that they have, they want him to show up. Even if they don't raise for two hundred dollars, they want him to show up. <laughs> I'm telling you, I remember telling Prince one one year I had they wanted me to go to uh place Alexandria, Louisiana for two and a half hour drive. And they was having a fundraiser. I had told the people already, ask me, when, when is your fundraiser? They say, whenever you can make it. You can't have no fundraiser whenever I can make it. <laughs> either, either you got one in place or you don't have one. And, and that's what he's going to be faced with. And he got to be, but he got to be courteous when he tell the people. You got to talk to him. You're going to have a lot of these moms. It's not the dad. It's going really? to oh, be the mom going to want to know why my baby is not playing. Really? Oh my God! Yeah, you and you gotta <laughs> you gotta let them down easy. You gotta be nice. You gotta make sure you let them know that you know what we 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 as a group. It ain't me. Is is we as a group? We make decision and we make it together. Not one person, but we so hope your your son become a better player. But they gonna they gonna be on you, man. <laughs> the mom, something else, and and then you gonna have, you know, you you gonna have uh, some of the people that. Work at the university, some of the professors and people like they're gonna envy. They're gonna envy him because you know they don't know what they're paying him. You know, they're gonna put all the, the press on him and they thinking about we up here teaching these kids. And some of the football players might suffer behind that because they mad with <laughs> the fact that Dion is the coach. It's it's a lot of things in black college, but you know what? I wouldn't have changed it for nothing in the world, and I think it's gonna be a lesson for Dion. It's going to give him a whole new picture of what black college is all about, but he's going to appreciate it because he's going to realize that he's going to be having a lot of young black men at the HBCU that probably wouldn't have got a guy like, had a guy like Dion to tell him about the life and, and some of the things that you had to do in order to be successful. 
you know, Doug, and talking to some other coaches, the thing that I've heard that's so critical for him is staff. And not just on-field staff, but also NCAA compliance, having someone who's familiar. Because those that rule book, as you know, compliance book, is as thick as a as a New Jersey deli sandwich, man. Go and ahead. The thing about that book, it changes. You know, they mm-hmm. can take that book any way they want to at the, at the NC2A. I can tell you that. You can read one thing, and they can tell you that's not what it meant. It's kind of like the Old Testament. Back in the Bible, when you read it, and then the preacher told you what it really meant. And that's how the NC2A do that book. But you need a compliance officer because, you know what, it's not it's not hard to get into little trouble. And what has happened to a lot of HBCUs over the years has been the APR scores. And, and a lot of that comes from transfers. You got to understand, you know, you can't build a team on transfers because they transfer for a reason. It's all right yeah. to get one or two or three guys that you know want to go to school and play. But when you get a guy who just want to play because he's screwed up somewhere else, and then once he play, he ain't coming back to school, it's going to kill you AP, APR. And see, that's what has happened to a lot of black schools because they don't have general studies at black colleges like they have at the other institutions where you got, and even from the junior colleges, you know, you're going to have some guys who recruit at junior college when they get the transcript, they might have 65 hours and they got A's and B's, but when you talk about transferring to a major, None of them transfer, so you're not going to be able to get that guy. And that's what has happened over the years, and he got to know know that from having a good compliance officer. They need to set him down when he get in there and let him know, hey, this is the landmine you got to deal with. And then on recruiting, you know, that test score and that GP, that core GPA, you better make sure when you're recruiting a guy that you're putting your time in a guy that's that going to have the, the, the test scores and the GPA to be eligible. If not, you're dealing with a, a guy that's going to be a prop, and he's going to have to come on his own. You can talk to him about doing it, but that's what has to happen. Doug, just let everybody know, you come to an HBCU, your butt will be in class. You better, you have to handle your business in the classroom. Thank you. It's, it's harder to pass at HBCU than it is at Stanford, man. It's hard. <laughs> See, and that, but that's the point I was going to ask you about, Doug. If you're selling your program, if you're Dion and you're selling your program, obviously, as we talk about, it's tough to get those five-star recruits. So if you're selling your program to maybe get the four-star or even three, what are you selling to them? Are you selling football or are you selling the entire experience? You, you got to sell the whole experience. You got to sell life. You know, this was going to happen to you when you get out in the real world. It's not guaranteed that you're going to get a chance to go to the National Football League. But if you go to class and get a degree, and if you're good enough, the chips will fall where they may. And I think that's the same shit you got to tell the parents and everybody else. It's unfortunate, you know, that these four or five stars, they feel like they're going to walk from, from high school to college all the way to the NFL. But I think if you check the book and if you go back years and all the top five stars and four stars, that's a lot of those stars that are not playing in the National Football League and sitting on the sideline because they don't have a college degree. See, so at the end of the day, you got to sell the whole package. You got to say, hey, I want him to go to class to get a degree. I want to be the best football player of all time. I want him to be able to walk out of here at Jackson State with a degree and say, what, if I don't make it as a football player, I can make it in the world regardless because I'm, I'm prepared for it. Doug, we were, Jim and I were looking at the schedules, and a lot of these HBCUs are not going to be playing football until like March, right? Until 
like after the NFL combine, um, things like this. So, so what about that scenario where this season is going to be going on, where a lot of these guys might not have tape for NFL teams to scout and, and things like that? Because last year, only one player from the HBCU got drafted. And, you know, we, we just don't know if that, if that number is going to go up this year because these guys aren't going to get a chance to play in time for a lot of these scouts to evaluate and draft them. No, I agree with just a tough situation. You know, fortunately for, for myself and five other guys, we on a, um, a HBCU committed from the National Football League, and I want to give credit to them because they realize that the HBCUs have not been served properly over the last few years as far as scouting and is concerned. So we're, we're tasked with the force of watching tape, but we got to watch it from, from last year, uh, 19, because they're going to be playing during the fall, during the spring, and we'll get a chance to, before the draft, before the combine. Uh, they start playing in February. We'll get a couple of games, three games maybe, uh, when they play in the, during this time and be able to write a report. But we got to pick the best of the best to try to give to the teams in the National Football League and let them know these guys deserve an opportunity to come to training camp or what have you until we put ourselves in position to have a combine that won't be this year because – like I say, some of the seasons only end like to April the 17th. And I know the Bayou Classic is played on April the 24th, the weekend of the draft. So uh, they won't have an opportunity to be seen before then. All right, Doug, uh, last question for you when we're talking about what, what Dion's going to expect, what um, some of the things with HBCUs, because you're also on the HBCU committee that works with the NFL to get these coaches into the pipeline. And, and, and through the pipeline. And so when we look at what's coming up this year, we know about Eric Bieniemy, right? We know about Clemson's Tony Elliott. Some of these guys like this. Do you see any hope that there's going to be a legitimate concerted effort by some of these NFL teams to hire some of these coaches and guys in personnel? I mean, there's so many. You, you've been in personnel for years. There's so many black guys in personnel who aren't getting the opportunities do you see any real hope that anything is going to change? Well, let me say this. It's unfortunate. This COVID-19 has, has messed a lot of things up, number one. But I still think from, from our quarterback summit, there's a lot of guys out there deserve an opportunity to be coaching in the National Football League. You know, I've, I've, I worked in Jacksonville. I worked in Tampa, and I'm working here. And when I see guys working, comparing to some of the guys that I've seen over the last three years in the summit, there's no doubt in my mind it's about an opportunity. And it's unfortunate, you know, usually in the National Football League, it's a buddy-buddy deal. And because I don't hang out with you, it's a culture deal. You don't hang out with me. Some guys who really deserve an opportunity to be up here don't get it. You know, I, was, I just texted a guy this morning. He texted me, Gary McGee. Ain't no way in the world Gary McGee shouldn't be coaching the National Football League. We know Eric B. Enemy should be up here. You know, people like that should be up here, but it's about an opportunity. And like I say, the COVID... Uh, I don't know how it's going to work as far as owners and everybody looking at teams and when things don't go well, how they're going to look at it. But I think a lot of it has to do with what these coaches are on their contract and things like that. But we also got to get them in, in the major university, too, to get them up here. But uh, hopefully that uh, what has happened this year with Troy Vincent and the commissioner has put a lot of hope into things changing. And, and you look at what has transpired over the last few months with this social justice thing, uh, we hope. But I think somewhere along the line, 
you know, whenever the players decide that, hey, we need to change this thing, we need more coaches, it might happen. I don't see it happen tomorrow, but it's going to be left up to them. Doug, can I ask this? You know, I've, I've talked so much about coaches over the year and the lack of diversity and whatnot. But the longer this goes, the more I start to focus on the front office from this standpoint. When an owner is making his decision, the last person that usually has his ear is the general manager. And general managers often tend to hire people who look like them as well. We have only two black general managers. So should we be focusing more on the front office than we are on the head coach position right now in terms of making an impact? I, th I think the focus should be more on the ownership. You know, they need to come to the summit and sit down and be able to talk to people and tell us why they have not hired and what they're looking to do. Because I think you put everything in the home in, in the hands of search, search firms, uh, these agents who represent one guy might be representing the, the general manager who wants you to hire the coach that he represents. It might be representing the coach who wants you to hire the general manager that he represents. So I think that's what has happened. Until we get past that, the owners got to make that decision because they're the only one that's going to make it happen. We can't. I'll leave you on this. But how disappointed were you that at the last summit, even though it was virtual, there were 10 clubs that weren't even represented? Well, you know, I, I was happy that some was there, but I was disappointed that all 32 wasn't there. I mean, it was easy being virtually. It's easy to sit there on the computer. You do it anyway. You know, if I'm an owner and they're doing this, I would do it. And, and let me say, I'm going to take my hat off to, to one guy, um, I, uh, Mark Davis, of the Raiders, right? The, the last day of the summit, he found my number. He called me. And the first thing he said, I love what y'all are doing. You know, whatever I can do to help, I'm a help. He said, I love what y'all are doing. And, you know, for an owner to pick up the phone after that thing, man, made me feel pretty good. And what did you tell him, Doug? I told him we're going to call on him, and when something come open, uh, he got to give us an opportunity. I know he did just step up and make Marcel uh, Reese uh, assistant to the president, but that's not putting him in the general manager in the other position. But at least he brought somebody in there and put him in the front office. All right, Doug and Jim, we got the solution right here. Doug, we're having a cookout at your crib <laughs> in D.C.? <laughs> Jim's bringing the sausage. <laughs> Let's do hey. it. Invite all the owners. <laughs> and we can make it happen. <laughs> you, you I'm there. And, and I have my wife cook, cook gumbo. My wife will cook the gumbo. Oh. Let's do it. Oh, <laughs> it's a wrap. Let's make it. Call Dion. Call Dion. All right. <laughs> hey, Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate <laughs> you, man. All right, man. Y'all be good. Appreciate y'all. Doug, you're the best, man. Appreciate you. As always, Doug, bringing the insight, but Jim, I mean, the jumping off point, we're talking about opportunities now for head coaches and, and people in personnel and people of color getting to this personnel, which leads us. And we've been talking about this after just two weeks. There is no way it sounds crazy, but you can honestly say people like Dan Quinn in Atlanta, Adam Gase with the Jets and Matt Patricia with the Lions have a whole lot of plank left before they, they get let go. Now, Arthur Blank down in Atlanta, he, he hates firing coaches before the season ends, but I cannot see him having much more patience, especially when he went on Sirius XM Radio Monday and said, yeah, it seemed like his player, the Dan Quinn's players, didn't know about the onside kick rule. 
This is after his coach came out and said, yes, they did. So it sounds like he's setting the table for Quinn, if he doesn't win some ball games soon, to be replaced. I don't think there's any question about that, Steve, especially when Arthur Blank prior to the season talked about the number of PSLs not being renewed was tied in part to the lack of success on the field. You and I have talked about this before, and I always bring this up. If you ever want to find the truth in a story as it relates to the NFL, follow the money. And so in this case, when fans aren't opening up their wallets, in part because the owner believes that there has not been enough success on the field, that's not a good recipe for um, the sitting head coach. And so I think Dan Quinn is in a really tough spot now, and they have got to have some success. Not only the onside kick, Steve, but you can't blow. I think it was a 20 to nothing first quarter lead. You know, that just doesn't happen in the NFL where teams blow. No turnovers. They didn't turn the ball over. Did not turn the ball over. You know, so from my vantage point, I think Arthur Blank, as much as he hates to do it, um, it has to be something that he is seriously considering at this point. The only question becomes, as you know, if you do it, then what? And you have got to have a plan in place if you're going to make that kind of change. And I don't know that he has that plan in place. We'll find out. But it's just awful. The one thing, you're at least from my vantage point, I'm seeing during the season is you're seeing some coaches who appear to be in over their heads. And not just on the field in terms of decision making, but also from a personnel standpoint. I look at Houston and Bill O'Brien. They're now 0-2. And you look at the personnel moves that he's made, and it's killing this club. When you see DeAndre Hopkins going off in Arizona the way he has, where I think in the first two games he has more receptions than any receiver has ever had in the history of that franchise, including Larry Fitzgerald, uh, that says something, that you don't think the Texans could use that playmaker in that offense right now? Or when you look at Minnesota and they let Stephon, they traded away Stephon Diggs presumably because I guess they thought Adam Thielen could be a number one. And we see Diggs going off in Buffalo, but we see Adam Thielen and that offense struggling in Minnesota. I'm asking, who's making those decisions and why? Because clearly it is not working out for the club. You know, even we go to Mike McCarthy week one, the decision to to go for it on fourth down rather than kick the field goal and get the points early in the fourth quarter there against the Rams and ultimately end up losing that game. There's just some questionable decision-making going on, and that's why I always go back to this, Steve. As much as owners try and focus on hot coordinators, so to speak, there is so much more to being a head coach than X's and O's. You not only have to be able to manage people, you have to be able to manage games and expectations. And what I am seeing now, even with Vic Fangio in Denver in the season opener and his clock management is that we repeatedly keep seeing coaches who aren't doing the things necessary to be successful. Maybe that says that that owners need to do a better job when it comes to hiring. You know, well, yeah, I mean that 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 goes without saying. And look, at least Dan Quinn has been to a Super Bowl. Uh, Matt Patricia, I'm not, not going to remind Gase. you what happened in that one. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying, I mean, look, I know, they haven't been the same since Kyle Shanahan has left, but you can't blame what's going on here on their offense. They're scoring points. But Matt Patricia and Adam Gase, th- this is an unmitigated disaster. Detroit, four consecutive losses with double-digit leads. Okay, what's going on? That's not making adjustments. There's something going 
wrong right there. And the Jets, good Lord. I, I feel bad for Sam Darnold. Joe Douglas, the GM, he is not tied to Adam Gase. He was hired after Adam Gase. He is going to get an opportunity, I think, to bring in his own head coach. So, Jim, let, you talked about what's next. Um, you talk about overall leaders as coaches. I can't help to think, again, I'm going to keep banging this. Jim Caldwell, when <laughs> I, I, I mean, come on, nine and seven twice in Detroit wasn't good enough, even though he got him to the playoffs. He's sitting on the sidelines where the Lions have won are nine and 24 since they hired Matt Patricia. What's going on with the Jets? Uh, again, I just don't get it. And, and the Falcons, of course, that's going to be a plum job because of all the tools they have. Arthur Blank has always hired defensive coaches. What's interesting since he's been there, what he figured were leaders of men. Um, so it would be interesting to see wh- which route he goes. But you also talked about the personnel people. And you, you asked this question of, of Doug Williams, too. And you look at people like Terry Fontenot of the Saints, uh, Martin Mayhew of the 49ers. You look at the personnel. You know, he, he had his he, he won, he had some issues in Detroit, but he also put some personnel on that roster as well. Champ Kelly, you know, with the Bears as a general manager. Everyone said he's a guy who's kind of next in line to get there. I'm just real eager to see if these owners – if they're really trying to do their homework, and we talked about having a cookout <laughs> and getting everybody to the cookout, are going to take the time to investigate these people, Jim. Well, what blows me away, Steve, is that there has never been a black general manager who was fired who got a second opportunity as a general manager. So think about that for a minute. And yet we know it has happened with white general managers. Reggie McKenzie was executive of the year after taking a downtrodden Raiders team and getting it to the point where it was on the cusp of doing really good things. Um, Jerry Reese won two Super Bowls with the Giants. Two. He can't get another job as a GM. You know, and I can Rod Graves, that- Rod Graves took the Cardinals to the Super Bowl as GM. I just I sit here and I stutter. And the thing, the reason why I said what I said to Doug is I think we have to be at the table to be advocates for us in that final step of the decision making process. And because we know owners typically the last person in their ear before a hire is made is the general manager. The owner goes to the GM and says, Give me your list. And so when they sit down, when he, when the owner sits down to make that decision, the GM is typically the last person they hear from. And what bothers me is that there's this whole buddy-buddy thing. Like, look, I understand that there are ties between Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia in Detroit from their days in New England. But they fired Jim Caldwell. Remember, when he took over the Lions, they had been to the playoffs once once in 14 years he took him there twice he had winning seasons twice. three out of he had winning seasons three out of those four years and yet they said we need to bring in someone who can take us to the next level and so you bring in Matt Patricia and now you're going to be patient with him explain to me how you're patient with Matt Patricia but you're not patient with Jim Caldwell to try and get them to that next level i don't get it well i do get it but um i don't buy it so well, you're you're, for, you're yeah, you're seeing what's what's going on there. You're seeing how that's working out. Yeah, I mean, and you can you can go around the league on some of this. So, I think right now, at least for me, we can sit here and talk about coaches all day, 
But I think it's it's imperative that we start to level that playing field in the front office um, to really make change. And I think, as Doug said, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen tomorrow. And that's the unfortunate part is I remember when the league had this this um, virtual forum with and there were a few owners on it. Uh, this the quarterback offseason. summit, the, Doug, the the quarterback coaching summit that Doug was talking about, yeah, precisely. And we hear owners talking about patience, and 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 how minorities have to be patient. And I'm sitting here, I'm saying, patient for what, you know, and for whom? There are talented. Well, I mean, Go ahead, Jim. We we were we were part of that. I mean, remember, I, I was like, you've got Jim Caldwell sitting in the in the. He's been in the Super Bowl. He's won the Super Bowl when he was with the Ravens. You've got Eric Bieniemy who just coached. The Super Bowl winning MVP. You have Tony Elliott, who's been calling plays at Clemson for the past couple years, winning national championships, developing the best quarterback. What do they need to be patient for when they're seeing people? And it's no, it's no hate against someone like Cliff Kingsbury or some of these guys getting cherry picked when guys have paid their dues. And so that's where it's just real interesting to me if these guys are going to bother. And I'm so glad you pointed out to Doug, it's virtual, right? Anybody can get in on a virtual conference and 10 teams didn't freaking bother. That's that's some bull dookie emoji. Well, it tells you how seriously some teams are taking this. Yep. And I don't care if you have Bill Belichick as your coach. He's not going to be there forever. So you would think as an organization, you would at least want to do your due diligence and participate on that virtual call to know who's out there in case Bill decided tomorrow he wants to retire. And, that, you know, that's the unfortunate thing here is you can't just talk the talk. You can't say it's important and then not do the work. And your actions don't reflect that. And right now, the actions of the owners in general, not all, but in general, reflect that they don't take this seriously. And that I don't think they understand the sense of urgency that minority coaches feel right now to feel as if they're not valued for decision-making positions within the NFL. And, and to me, that that's what's so painful, if you will. I was almost going to say insulting, but it's just painful, you know, to say that you're not being judged based on your qualifications, that it's something beyond that that is prohibiting you from climbing that ladder to the highest rung. And hopefully it changes, and I think at some point it will, it's just sad that it's going to take longer than it needs to take. Yeah, well, guess what? We're already talking about coaches on the hot seat two weeks in. It needs to change pretty soon. Hey, Jim, we're making it big here. I have to do a read. Uh-oh. I have to do Uh-oh. a read. Does that so mean we're, we're does that mean people are enjoying let's it? Let's hope so. Listening to let's it? Let's hope so. People so here taking notice? Here's the huddling flow read. Stream live, local, and primetime games for free on your phone and tablet by downloading the NFL app or Yahoo Sports app. How about that in my radio voice? I was about to say, I was going to say, well, at least we're not the aftermath with no promo, except you guys got some some promo this year. I got to give you credit for that. We got a little bit. We pushed for that. We got a little bit. But but Jim, one one thing that we really do need to stress is Tuesday. It is National Voter Registration Day. So if you are not registered, get out and register to vote because your vote is your voice. And some of the things that we're seeing going on in the world, regardless of what side of the fence you're sitting on, if you are not voting, you don't have 
any reason or any right to say anything when you see that voters, votes are being suppressed, that votes, that people have died for your right to vote, people around the world would kill for your right to vote. So get out there, register to vote, pay attention to the issues, and do what you have to do. I know you're tired of being preached to, but this is a very important issue to me, Jim. I'm sure it's a very important issue to you. Yeah, just also, remember, Jim, this, we, this is not strictly about the presidential election. No. There are a number of local measures on the ballot that apply to your life and your community, and those are as, as important as what you will be voting for at the presidential level. So please, please, please exercise your right to vote. That's right, because right now we see some of our, our fellow sports journalistic brethren, brethren cracking on people for who they voted for and whatnot. Later for that, we need to talk about issues, rent, housing, things like that, that are on ballots. But also, Jim, you know, we want to thank all the people who have listened uh, to our podcast already. We've got some really good feedback. And we just want to encourage you, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to your podcast, subscribe, pass the word around, and leave a review. We want to get better. It's all about getting better every day. So if you tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, leave a review. Um, we can't give you the gas face. We're going to take it constructively. Um, and we just, we're just just really glad, you know, that we're, we're here at episode three and we're continuing to do bigger and better things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about getting better. All right. For Jim Trotter, for our producers, Thomas Warren and Arjuna Ramgopal. Bingo. Nailed it twice. <laughs> I'm Steve White with the Huddle Flow podcast. And we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.